I told you last week that we are going to turn a page here. Paul turns a page in his argument that he's made with the Corinthian church or, or this discussion he's been having with them. And he has been none too pleased with them because they had been arrogant. And so for the first uh, two chapters, the argument that he's made and to, to really reveal their uh, arrogance, to reveal their folly of thinking, he described how God works, how God intends things. Uh, he described the cross and Jesus crucified in a way that, that the words he used were foolish. In other words, he was going to bring it to an extreme and saying that the cross and the way God works is foolish to men. And, and when they were operating like men, when they were operating like the world, when they weren't operating God's wisdom, they were embracing actual foolishness. And what he's going to do in chapter 2, verse 6, is he's going to turn this, this paradigm around, and he's going to start unpacking this idea of what does God's wisdom mean? What does God's wisdom really look like? So we're, we're going to stop talking about God's folly, and now we're going to start talking about God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is a little bit like, uh, to, to a mature person, it's, it's like seeing something at one time, and you see it over and over again, and you see it in the peripheral, and you think, that's just crazy. And then all of a sudden you experience it one day and you love it. Now you go, oh, this is, this is the greatest thing. And, and for some of you, and I'm going to give an analogy that some of you will understand, and I surely don't actually, but I, I may mention it. It's like hockey, right? We're in California, okay? California doesn't have a lot of ice on lakes. Let's just say that, okay? I didn't grow up putting ice skates on going down, you know, fjords, you know, where they play hockey, okay? And, and, and yet, apparently people tell me that if you've never experienced going to a hockey game and understanding the game, you don't even understand the rules, but then you go to a hockey game and you start to understand this thing, it moves from foolishness to something that makes sense, and that was beautiful and great. Is that true? How many hockey fans, you've experienced that? Okay, look at these people, okay? They're strange, okay? Because uh, I went to a game, still don't get it, I like that they fight, that's cool, okay? But, but like, really? <laughs> they have a term called icing. You're playing on ice. Isn't the whole thing icing? Like, you know, like, oh, they're icing again. Oh, well, yeah, they are, skating. <laughs> uh, but, but, but where your eyes are open and now it all makes sense, that is the wisdom of God. At one time, all of us who, who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and have been born again. That's how it was with us, where you see God's truth and God's word and Jesus on the peripheral, but it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't connect. Yes, we can know the stories. Yes, we kind of understand the terminology. Yes, we can even repeat it. But at one time, God has opened our eyes. He has, he has made us aware, and all of a sudden, it goes from something that doesn't really make sense to all of a sudden, this is the missing component of all of life. This is the freshness that I've been craving. This is, this is the, the fresh water that I've been yearning for, and it's starting to satisfy because it answers my longing questions. And what's true about the wisdom of God is that we, again, we can't conjure it up. It has to be revealed to us. And so what we're going to talk about these next few weeks now is that, is, is what is the wisdom of God? What is the wisdom of God that has been revealed to us, and why is it so good to us and for us, and what, is it, what does it do for us? And, and the key word we're going to come back to over and over in these next few weeks is the word maturity. 
maturity. What does it look like? I've, I've been asked that often as a pastor, as a, as a, as a man. What, is, what does maturity in the Christian life look like? What does it look like to, to walk along a path of maturity with Jesus Christ? Does it mean I need to just know more? It's just knowledge. If I, can, if I consume book after book on Christian living, is that going to mature me? Do I have to do more? Is that the missing thing? Do I have to engage in more activity around Christian people? What does maturity look like? And I believe Paul, in this section, tells us not only about the wisdom of God, but what does a mature Christian look like? And it starts with our thinking. And out of our thinking comes our living. So, like I said, let's, let's go to the text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And start in verse 6. And we will read down to verse, the first part of verse 10. Let's do that. So start in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. It says this, yet, okay, right there he makes a, he makes a change. Yet, he's been talking about one thing, yet now he's going he's gonna to make a change and talk about something different. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what, I, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The first is this, where does the root, what is the root of wisdom? What is the root of wisdom? And we know from this passage, starting in verse 6, that wisdom is embraced by the mature. Wisdom is embraced by the mature. Now, you have to understand in this passage, I want you to look in your Bibles, and I want you to look at a couple of differentiations of people that Paul makes in this section. Look back at chapter 1, verse 18 in your Bibles, one page back, 118. He said, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness or moronic to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, so already in chapter 118, he's made a differentiation in this world, the, the cross is the dividing line. You either see it as foolishness. If you see the cross as foolishness, you are part of those who are perishing, who are on their way to judgment, who are separate from God. And those who see the, the cross of, of Christ as wisdom, as their substitute, as, as ultimate satisfaction, those are the ones who are being saved. Those are two different groups of people. But now he's going to go into a subset of people. Because starting in chapter 2, verse 6, he talks about those who are mature, those in this, in this group of people who see the wisdom of God on the cross, there are those who are mature. And then look down at chapter 3, verse 1. 3, verse 1 says this, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Who, who were little, uh, little babies, who were infants when it came to Christ. And, and they were not only babies, but in chapter 3, verse 2, we find that those babies were lactose intolerant, okay? That they, they couldn't even take the milk of God's Word. It, it wasn't good to them. It was sour to them. 
And so here's the comparison. He's not, in chapter 2, verse 6, down to chapter 3, he's not talking about those who are believers and unbelievers. He's talking to a group of believers. And in, in this umbrella of belief, in this umbrella of those who have embraced the cross, who've been born again, there are those who are mature and maturing and those who are infantile in their thinking. And what's the irony of this is that, according to chapter 3, those who were immature, those who were, who were infants, were the ones who seemed like they were the most spiritual. Those who were eloquent of speech, those who probably were the best read, those who uh, in the culture could, could, in, could talk to the culture, and they seem very smart when it came to spiritual things, and yet Paul says those are the people who are the most immature. Because, because all, of their, uh, all of their knowledge, all of their uh, uh, reading, all of their talk led to division. All their talk led to jealousy. All of their, their knowledge led to strife. And because it, it caused them to sin, they were like little, little babies and little kids. Actually, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14 to 20, in this idea of thinking and infancy and maturity. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. You should start to think more and more and deeper and deeper. Be infants in evil but in your thinking, be mature. See, this whole idea of maturity starts with how we think, and it, and it starts there, and then it plays out how we live. And, and it was a very simple point that Paul is making, and the point is this. Those who have embraced the wisdom of God should be growing toward maturity, but there were those who were wise in their own thinking, arrogant and factious, and these needed to embrace the true wisdom of God in their thinking. You see, here's the goal of our life is to mature. The goal of our Christian life is to mature. God, God has done a, a, a miracle in any believer's life. He's turned a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Blind eyes are, can see. He's transferred us from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. He has, he has done a miracle in your heart and your mind, and, and, and he doesn't just do a miracle so that you stay in this, in this sedentary infant stage. He wants us to grow. And, and I thought about this. It's, it's really cute uh, when a toddler acts like a toddler. True? Isn't it kind of cute Sometimes when you see a two-year-old and they act a certain way or they run around a certain way and you go, that is cute. That is cute. Look at this. When a two-year-old, not even a two-year-old, okay, walks around with their hand in their diaper, with their hair all messed up and a messy face, and, and like, you know, where are they from? You know, Ohio? Uh, uh, you, you, you look at them. Is Wayne here? Okay. Okay. Uh, you look at that and you're like, oh my goodness, whose family and who do they take after? You know, that's my youngest daughter, by the way. And, uh, and you look at that, but, but in some ways this kid is cute, right? Now, she's wearing a diaper, it's, it's sagging a little bit like a dragon. And uh, now I ha there's another one where I, have, I asked Claudio, uh, who you saw up here doing the baptism, to put on a diaper and walk around the same way. No, I didn't do that because no one wants to see that, Okay. No one wants to see a 40-plus-year-old, bald Italian man running around in a diaper. <laughs> it's not right, okay? You would have a hard time finishing your lunch today with that emblazoned in your mind. In, in other words, 
here is, here is what Paul is saying. He says, when you are first coming to know Christ, immaturity and, and, becoming an, and being an infant is, is okay. There's this growth to the Christian life. If you're new to the faith and you just, and the, the, the switch just came on, the Holy Spirit just illuminated your mind, and you're going, I feel so overwhelmed. It seems like I don't know that much. It seems like there's so much to do and learn. That's a great place to be. There's a growth in the Christian life. There should be, and there's steps to take to grow. But the problem is sometimes we've proclaimed to know Christ for years and years and years and years, and yet we haven't progressed beyond being infants. We're still struggling with the same exact sins we did back here. We're still wrestling with the same concepts of God that we were back here. We're still arguing and strife and jealous, and all these things are in us. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that you should move beyond infancy. We have the tools at our disposal. We have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the mind of Christ to move beyond spiritual infancy. And it's expected of every believer so not only do we have the comparison between maturity and infancy in this passage, but we have the companion of wisdom and maturity. Paul combines this concept that he also shows us in other passages of Scripture, that wisdom and maturity go together. Not just knowledge, it's wisdom. It's putting knowledge into practice. If you have your Bibles, turn over a couple, pa- a couple pages to the right couple books to the right to Colossians 1.27. Here's how Paul matches the gospel and maturity. Colossians 1.27 says this, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is the mystery that's been revealed? It's that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's him that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. That we may present everyone. One of the goals of this church, one of the goals of everyone in this room, one of my goals and my prayers for you, that what we work hard at, why do we teach classes, why do we have Bible studies, why do we preach the way we do, because our hope and our goal is to present you mature, complete in Christ. Because Christ is in you. The mystery has been revealed that Christ is in you, and it's, and it's our goal to make you complete in Christ. To, and, and, and that's possible because of the wisdom of God. Second is this. Turn over a couple more pages to the right to Hebrews chapter 5. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull in your hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives simply on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is simply a child. But solid food is what? Is for the mature. And how do you get to be mature according to Hebrews 5? Listen to this. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What does it look like or how do you mature? You, you mature by having the powers 
of discernment trained by actually practicing the things that you're taught. And it's interesting if you look back, so you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What is this idea of wisdom? What is this idea that the mystery of God is, is, is revealed? What does it mean that now through wisdom we can mature? In general, it means all of, all of God's salvation plan being revealed to us. I mean, it means, it means the whole of Scripture. It means all of God's revealed special revelation through His Word. That is the wisdom of God. You cannot grow in maturity but by God's revealed special truth that He gave us in His Word. That's, that's in general, but there's something even more specific in the context of 1 Corinthians 2. And, and, I'll, and I'll give, again, I'll give, the first one who says this, I mean, you, are, you, are, you win this morning, okay? In the context, what is, what is the central point of wisdom that Paul keeps coming back to? In other words, what is the wisdom of God that's been revealed that will make you mature? What is the central point of wisdom in his word? What is it? Say it in a couple words. It's what? Yes! Oh, praise the Lord, that was so great. Man, overwhelmed that, you, that we all are on the same page. Okay, what is it? It's... it's I'll give you a guess. It's two C words, but one has a C-H, and the other one's a C-R. How about this one? Ready? What is the core central wisdom of God then? What is, what is the center point of his wisdom that's been revealed to us? Ready? It is. Excellent. That is good, all right? Feels better as a teacher, okay? That you remembered. All right. So, so the core center of wisdom is then Christ and him crucified. We cannot mature apart from God's word, but we cannot move on in maturity unless we come centered back to the cross. This means that the transformation of a believer is wrapped around the thinking and living out of the realities of Jesus Christ and him crucified, focused on what Christ did for us and not what we did for God. The central point of the cross is this. We focus on what God did for us, what Jesus Christ did for us that none of us could do for ourselves. So often I, I want to point out what I have done. What I've done good or what I've done bad. That, that's, that's my thinking. That's my fleshly way. My fleshly drift is to focus on me. And what, what Paul is saying, the ultimate true wisdom of God is that we go back to the cross and we focus on what God has done for us, not on what I have done for God. So the central point of wisdom is this. It's wisdom of the cross applied to everyday life. That is, that is maturity in wisdom. It's, it's the wisdom of the cross that we actually take and apply every day in our life. Now you say, well, what does that mean? That's nice. That sounds good. Put it on a bumper sticker. That's neat. What does it look like? And I believe Paul laid it out for us in 1 Corinthians. What is, what is the wisdom of the cross applied every day as I contemplate what Jesus Christ did and when I contemplate what Jesus Christ did before the Father to glorify him on my behalf to take my place on the cross, when I focus every day on what Christ did, not what I can do for him, here's what it frees me up to do. Here's what it motivates me to do every day. Paul would say in, in the first four chapters of, 
of Corinthians, it causes me to not only mature, but to be united. The first four chapters of Corinthians means that as I focus on the cross, I can be more united with you. The, the gospel actually unites me with other believers. And, and when I focus on the things that we're different in, I can think of a million things of what makes us different. I, you can think of a million ways that I fall short of your standard, but at the cross we can be united. Second, chapter 5 tells us that we can fight for purity. If you, if you come back to the cross every day, you're motivated and freed up to be pure. If you're struggling with sin and continual sin, if you've been battling lust and, and giving in to temptation, the solution for you isn't just to try harder and duke it out with your sin. It's to come back to the cross and cling to what Christ did for you on your behalf and know the freedom that comes when he frees you from your sin. Chapter 6, 1 through 11 sets the example or gives us the example set by Christ crucified who allows the church to suffer instead of asserting our own rights. Chapter 6, 1 through 11 says this, isn't it better for you to be taken advantage of than to fight for your own rights? Oh, just wait till we get there. That's so anti-American mentality, but I'm entitled to it. It's mine, it's my right, and, and, and Paul says, yeah, and you're going to be taken advantage of. Why? Because you know who was taken advantage of ultimately was Jesus Christ. He set the example for us. Chapter 6, verse 12, we honor God with our bodies. Our bodies have been bought and purchased by God. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, so we're pure with our bodies. Chapter 7, we've been bought with a price so we can secure undivided devotion to the Lord. Whether we're single or divorced or married, we can secure undivided devotion to God. And chapters 8 through 11 says that we can Knowing that a weaker brother, somebody who sees it differently than us, has been bought by Jesus Christ, I can live in such a way that's not trying to offend or drag down a weaker brother. I realize that life is no longer about me. Those are just some of the applications of living the wisdom of the cross out in everyday life. Not to mention, I mean, there's a list of them, but not the least of which is this, right? Ephesians 4.32 some of you need a big heaping helping of Ephesians 4.32. What's that reality? In every relationship, we're able to forgive one another. In a marriage context, in a relational context, we can forgive those because Ephesians 4.32 says, I forgive just as God in Christ forgave me. That is a gospel reality that we play out every day. Not only have I received forgiveness from God, but I am freed up to forgive one, uh, somebody else because of what Christ did on the cross. And that forgiveness doesn't mean that I say, oh, you're forgiven, but I'm going to make you pay for the rest of your life. I will never trust you again. I'm never going to respect you again. You're forgiven. Praise the Lord, God doesn't do that with us. Every time I sin, I'm forgiven and embraced by God. God can bring me back and embrace me and talk to me and look me in the eye and, and have a relationship with me even though I've sinned and sinned and sinned against him. Paul would say that is wisdom. That is the wisdom of the cross. That is the wisdom of saying I've been purchased by Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom of coming back to the cross. And, and we'll, we'll 
close here before we get into the second part of the first verse. But here, we're going we're gonna to take a look at playing out that maturity means we bank on the revealed word of God, the revealed work of God, that we are dependent on God revealing it to us because if we try to conjure it up by what we can see and even what we can feel, we're going to fall short. Here's the, here's the great part. God didn't, God's not trying to hide himself from us. True. Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels that God is so distant from us, like, God, where'd you go? (laughs) Well, he never went anywhere. He's actually revealed himself to us, but he's revealed himself to us in a very specific way, through his word and through his work. (laughs) And and part of the wisdom of life is, here it is, ready? It's yielding ourself to that. I'm going to yield myself to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and yield myself to the word of God, cling to both of those so that my mind is illuminated and that I could see the wisdom of God. And listen, wisdom isn't necessarily adding on heaps and heaps of knowledge on top of that. Now, it's good to know heaps and heaps of knowledge. I'm glad people do that, and I, I want to learn and study all of what God has for us to know. That's not the problem. The problem is when we think that we now have it wired because we get it, we figured it out, it's all about us, then we miss the boat. The wisdom of God isn't complicated, but it's very difficult because I'm so prone to trust myself. So here, here's the, the takeaway from this first, this first verse, is that if you know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, it means you've been, your eyes have been opened, you should be on a pathway of maturity. You should be growing. And what does growing mean? It means I I understand, I contemplate. Think about this. I contemplate, I dwell on, I think about, I, I meditate on, I rehearse what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He did to redeem me. And I and I dwell on that every day. If I if I dwell on the cross, then then it's real hard to fight for my own rights. It's real hard to find not find something to be thankful for. So every day I'm, I'm contemplating, I'm praying through, I'm thinking and meditating on the cross, and then that motivates me to play that out every day. So now I'm motivated to thank God. I'm, I'm compelled to love people. I'm, I'm enthralled to share the gospel with people. I just I can't help it. I can have compassion on people, forgive one another. I can live for his glory. I can now begin to put all these things into practice because I've, I've so clung to the cross every day that now, that now it's starting to play itself out in maturity. And I don't care if you've been a believer for two years or 20 years or 60 years. That is the solution. That is the answer to maturity. So I, my hope and prayer for our congregation, for us as a church, is that we'd be maturing that way. Next week, we're going to look at how did God reveal himself to us in maturity, and what does the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ play out in that? So I pray that according to, to good and evil, according to sin, we'd be infants, but according to maturity, we'd be growing up. No one likes watching a 40-plus-year-old running around in a diaper. Think about that image today as you leave here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word. I thank you that it's been revealed to us, that it's been given to us. 
that we couldn't conjure it up in our own thinking, that you illuminate us, that you make it plain to us. And I pray for anybody here that the word of God isn't plain to, that, that it's still on the peripheral, that it's confusing. I pray that you, through your word and through your spirit, would reveal your truth to them. And I pray for all of us that we would yield ourselves to you, that we would be broken before you, because in brokenness and yielding is ultimate wisdom and maturity. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.